This is the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. El Salvador recently accepted Bitcoin as legal tender, but how big a deal is this? The small Central American country has started acquiring Bitcoin, only 700 of them so far, but is this part of a trend we can expect to see in future from other countries and central banks? All this is happening as central banks eagerly discuss moving to entirely digital currencies called central bank digital currencies or CBDCs. The crypto capitalist newsletter recently made a bold prediction. Money is going to leave the bubbles of the fiat universe. In other words, the bond and stock markets, as well as the CBDCs that central banks are busy piloting because there's no end to the inflation they are injecting into the system through money expansion. Policymakers will try to control the on-ramps and off-ramps, in other words, the crypto exchanges, but they will inevitably lose the battle against financial sanity that cryptos represent. Why will they lose this battle? Well, because cryptos are designed to cure the recklessness and inefficiencies built into the current financial system by firstly controlling how much crypto money can be created, and secondly, by removing any form of control over who can own this new money and how it can be spent. This renders exchange control all but irrelevant, something that South Africans will be very keen to hear about. Joining us to discuss the implications of all this is Davi Ruet, the Chief Economist at The Efficient Group. Welcome, Davi. You've been a strong advocate of private monies like Bitcoin for a long time. Can you explain your enthusiasm? Why is it that Bitcoin is going to be such a revolution? Yeah, hello to you as well. Well, yeah, I think you, you said it all in the, in the intro. Uh, basically, what is happening here is that this, we've been getting used to this thing called fiat money, which is money which is uh, totally and completely dominated and monopolized by an authority somewhere, usually a government in a form of a central bank. But why should it be like that? We don't need them. We can ask the private sector is more than capable. In fact, the biggest part of our history, we have been issuing private money. We've been coming along and getting along with private money quite well. We don't need governments with money. We don't need governments to monopolize money. We don't really need central banks. Why do we need them? Because the private sector has showed itself in the past to be completely and totally capable of issuing money and managing this thing that we call money. And especially with new technology, I think we can reclaim that that space in in a free economy where the private sector is responsible for money. Apart from that, and I'm a bit of a libertarian, I think I call myself a a radical um, anarchist perhaps, Uh, but apart from that, we know that governments have been getting bigger in recent years and in recent decades and so on. They've been getting involved in our private lives more and more. They're making more and more laws. There are more civil servants that need to be paid of course, and the tax burden has been going up all over the world. So states and governments are getting bigger. And this is an opportunity for us, the private sector, and for free individuals to take back that freedom again from politicians. Uh, and I think money is an obvious way, the technology behind it is an obvious way to take back our freedoms again. Is it a big deal that El Salvador has started accepting Bitcoin as legal tender? And do you think other countries are going to follow suit? Yeah, that is a very interesting question. Uh, perhaps what we should do is just unpack this term legal tender, what it really means. And and I'm not the legal expert, but the the way I understand legal tender, it is that if if, if a currency or a money is legal tender in a country, then you are compliant or you have to accept that as the repayment of, of a loan. So if you owe me money, and you want to repay me in the legal tender of that country, I have no choice but to accept that 
as payment for your debt. If something is legal tender, I am not forced uh, to use that or to accept that in a shop, for example. So if I sell a bread and you want to pay me with legal tender, I can refuse to say, listen, I'm not, I do not want to accept legal tender. Additionally, legal tender also means uh, that you can pay, uh, that's the only form that you can, the only kind of money that you can use your, to pay your taxes. So those are the two things that you are forced to accept by way of legal tender, paying your taxes, that's one, and paying off debt. Now, that's an interesting thing because El Salvador just announced, or a couple of weeks ago announced, that they will accept Bitcoin as legal tender, which means that you can pay your taxes with Bitcoin and you can pay off debt with Bitcoin. But it does not mean that you can necessarily buy a bread with Bitcoin or any of the derivatives of, of Bitcoin. And I think that's important to understand that. So I think it's it's a really big step for a country to use, uh, they've got their own currency, which is legal tender, and they also use the US dollar, which is legal tender as well. But this is a big step for them to actually accept Bitcoin as a legal tender. Um, and I will not be surprised if we see a number of other countries following the same route eventually. And in fact, I'm actually quite surprised that it's taken this long for emerging poorer countries like El Salvador to actually accept things like, for example, Bitcoin as as legal tender. This is a big deal. Uh, what we see in most places in the world is where governments are actually getting more and more putting uh, legislation in place to oppose private currencies or things like, for example, Bitcoin. And El Salvador is going in the opposite direction where they ex- actually accept Bitcoin now as legal tender. And I think this is only the first step. We're probably going to see more countries moving in the, that direction. So in a way, I think we we at the crossroads. The one possibility is to use private currencies or private money, like, for example, Bitcoin and many others, or we can st- see more central banks actually making use of the same kind of technology and issuing central bank digital currencies. And of course, governments and politicians would prefer central bank digital currencies uh, before private digital currencies for the obvious reasons. Uh, uh, you can be easier not to pay taxes and, and all those sort of reasons. But um, so I think we're an, at the crossroads now. One group of countries going into the private sector, private currencies, and other group of con- countries probably moving in the direction of, of central bank digital currencies. Interesting. Uh, well, I spoke in the intro about CBDCs or central bank digital currencies. And that's really what it means is central banks going all in on digital money, which is something many people have pointed out is really an attempt by governments to control and track your spending. Now, if all money is digital, authoritarian governments will know where and how you are spending your money. That, you know, if you go down to the corner shop and you buy alcohol at 10 o'clock at night, uh, they will know about that, um, particularly during these times of COVID lockdown. That could be something they might want to know. Am I being a little bit too conspiratorial here, or should be we be worried about CBDCs? No, that's exactly it. There are two ways to, and I'm not pretending to be a technological expert here, but there are two ways, two kinds of technologies that central banks can use. And maybe just a side note, that is, you know, we're talking about digital currencies, but the RAND has been digitized for quite some time. In fact, the, the RAND consists 95% of the RAND exists in digital form only or an electronic form. So in a way, this is nothing really new. The new part here is about the underlying technology, basically the, the, the blockchain. But coming back to the point, central banks basically 
there are two options available to central banks. The one is a so-called account option, and the other one is the wallet option. Now, in the case of the wallet option, when you buy your currency, your digital currency, and you put it into your wallet, nobody knows about that. And that's typically the way that private sector digital currencies work. You can buy your digital currency, put it in your wallet with your key and your private keys, and you can spend it in any way that you like to, and nobody knows about that. The alternative way is to create a, is the so-called account approach, whereby central banks basically creates an account for every individual that buys that central bank digital currency. And then you are absolutely correct. They will be able to follow all your financial transactions. If you go and buy booze at the middle of the night somewhere uh, or buy whatever, Dacha in the middle of the night somewhere, they will know about that because they can follow all your financial transactions by simply monitoring your account at the central bank. And that's the way I think most central banks would like things to do. In fact, that is the way that the, the Bank of China is currently, um, they've issued the central bank digital currency, and many other central banks, including the South African Central Bank, is looking at issuing their own central bank digital currency, which will basically be on this principle of the account basis or technology or the account uh, technology, which will make it easier for them to follow, well, make it possible for them to follow each and every financial transaction you and I do. There's a bit of a downside to the account approach. And the downside is now is that banks are not going to like this. Banks are not going to like this because we can essentially buy a sidestep banks or we can go to the central bank and we can put our money in the central bank for all practical purposes. And uh, you, we don't need banks as a financial intermediary anymore. And that is a problem for banks. So I suspect that central banks in future, they will issue an account-based central bank digital currency, but they will limit the supply of these digital currencies, creating a space for banks to operate the way that the banks are currently operating as well. I don't think that will last. I don't think that is sustainable, but I think that is perhaps the approach that central banks are going to take in the short term at least. Governments are rushing to regulate cryptos, usually by regulating the access to crypto on-ramps and off-ramps. So when you want to buy Bitcoin, you've got to go through an exchange, you pay with your with your RANDs, and that would be your on-ramp. Then when you sell your Bitcoin and you want to convert that Bitcoin back to RANDs, that would be your off-ramp. Now, China recently banned this kind of access, this on-ramp and, and off-ramp access completely. The Bitcoin price dropped a little bit, but not that much. Who do you think wins this battle for control of this new money, the individuals who own them or governments? That is the big question at the moment. Uh, obviously, that's what central banks and that is what governments are trying to do. The only way that they can control private digital currency is by controlling the on-ramps and the off-ramps. And the on-ramps and the off-ramps are usually, in most cases, associated with a bank. And as we know, Banks are highly regulated institutions. Look at South Africa, for example. It is illegal to take a deposit unless you have a banking license. Uh, and that's the way. That, that is the muscle that central banks have left, and they can control the banks. And you need, if you want to convert your money from rands into crypto money or vice versa, you usually need some sort of bank account. You have to, you need a space, an on, on-ramp or an off-ramp to convert from the one to the other one. So that is why uh, in South Africa, if you uh, if you create an on-ramp or uh, an exchange, a Bitcoin exchange, you usually have to open a bank account, do the know your customer nonsense with all the admin and everything that goes with that. Pretty much the same that banks are required. And the reason why they do that, because they want to control the on-ramps and the off-ramps as much as possible. But the day is getting sooner 
we, we won't need off-ramps anymore. We may need on-ramps to get into the private crypto space. But once everybody starts using these uh, private monies, then you don't need an off-ramp because you don't need to convert your, your crypto money into the rands or in dollars or whatever the case may be. You can stay in the world of private money and you don't need an off-ramp. And the more people use this, the less important it will be to have off-ramps and the less control governments and central banks will have over us on the off-ramps especially. And then that will become irrelevant in a way as well. So that is a big question, whether it's uh, private monies will really expand, the more people will accept that, because the more people use that, the less we will be dependent on things like, for example, especially on things like, for example, off-ramps. Now, you recently piloted a crypto of your own, uh, I think which was really done under the umbrella of the efficient group. Maybe just explain that. And if, if I understand it correctly, it's like a stable coin. In other words, it's backed by actual physical assets. That's correct. That's indeed what we're trying to do. Remember the RAND. Before we stepped off the gold standard in 1971, the RAND was also backed. Well, the RAND was actually a stable coin in a way because the RAND was, was backed by gold. The South African Reserve Bank had gold in the reserve. The world was on the gold standard. And then in 1971, we stepped off the gold standard and we stepped into the world of fiat currency. And like we've mentioned previously, the word fiat means let there be. Like fiat looks, let there be light, or fiat money means simply let there be money. And that's indeed what it is today. Central banks create money out of absolutely nothing. We don't have the gold standard anymore. Now, there's a new thing. Uh, of course, we know about Bitcoin, which is created out of nothing as well. There's nothing supporting Bitcoin except the trust in Bitcoin. But there's a new thing, a new technology that allows you uh, to underpin your cryptocurrency with something. You, know, you can underpin it with whatever you want, to gold or donkeys or financial instrument or anything. It doesn't really matter as long as that cryptocurrency reflects something else or represents something else. Now, what we've done, we've listed a financial instrument on the JSE, and it's still in a beta phase. We're still testing everything, but we've issued a coin against this financial instrument, which is listed on the JSE. So you will give me 100 rand as an example. I will take your 100 rand to make it very simple, to simplify it. So you give me 100 rand, I will buy the underlying asset on the JSE and I'll give you in return a coin which you can trade or exchange then on the blockchain and sell to anybody else as you see fit. And one day when somebody brings me the coin back, I will sell the underlying asset on the JSE and give you your RAND equivalent money back again. So that's the stable coin. It's a stable coin because it's not created out of nothing. It has an underlying value. In this instance, it's a financial instrument listed on the JSE. It's only the first step. We've issued one coin. But the idea is to eventually uh, to issue more coins against more financial assets uh, listed on, say, for example, the JSE, which then essentially means that you can exchange your coins on the blockchain without making use of the JSE. And I think that is another consequence of private monies, is that institutions like, for example, stock exchanges will become irrelevant because why buy and sell on a stock exchange? Because it's quite expensive. Why not do it on a blockchain? and achieve exactly the same, but at a significantly lower cost. Finally here, David, talk about the future of cryptos. Where does this lead us as a society? Where does the nation state fit into all of this? Because all of this is quite threatening in a way to, to governments and to nation states and to borders and people who would control us. You know, do you see cryptos as a vehicle for freedom or possibly further government control? 
I think there are many, many forces uh, at work at the moment. It's not only descriptive, there are many other things happening as well. I did mention earlier that I think we are currently in a way at a, at a crossroads and we're gonna, we will be at the spot now where we will have to decide whether we're going to use central bank money or whether we're going to use private money. And like I did say, we did have that in the past. That was the norm, private money, not central bank money. That's one thing that is happening. Something else that is happening as well, there are many other forms of technology that is also taking hold and becoming more pronounced. Things like, for example, simple things like people working from home. What is also important to understand is that the world economy is becoming more and more digitized and digitizable. The bulk of economic activity today happens in the tertiary sector. All Many of those things can be digitized. What we are doing now is actually a digital form of communication. Value add and all that is internet trading. It's becoming the norm. So I think the future is going to be something that looks like this more or less. People are will work more in this in the digital world, and that is in fact that's happening already. People will more, work more from home. We will belong to societies that are not necessarily physical in the sense that we live in a city. You can belong to any society, whatever you want to. I mean, I'm talking to you now. You don't even know where I am. I can work wherever I am as long as I've got a connection somewhere. I think people will start making use of this private monies to exchange value more and more so. I think the technology, like, for example, the blockchain, will be used to, to reflect somebody's ownership of something, like, for example, a piece of land or a motor car or a piece of art or something digitized or whatever. And I think that is the what the future is going to look like. I think politicians will try to stop this because it will become more and more difficult to control us. Uh, it will be, become more and more difficult to tax us. It will become more and more difficult for politicians to prescribe to us what to do. And this notion of a or nationalistic entity called countries, I think that will come under pressure as well. And in the future, we may move back to what we had a couple of hundred years ago, the city-state kind of thing, except this time around, the city-states are not going to be a city with a wall around it. It's going to be some sort of digital society somewhere in the cloud. I think that is more or less what, we, what we're going to see in future. This idea of big countries, big armies, uh, huge uh, arsenals of nuclear weapons that can destroy the world, those sort of things. I think that is outdated, and the future is going to be completely different. It's going to be really modern, and the power is going to be in the hands of individuals. It's not going to be a straight line. Politicians will try to prevent that, but I think this, the, the genie is out of the bottle. We've tasted freedom, and there's no way to get this, the genie back into the bottle again. Fascinating discussion. Uh, thanks once again to Davi Ruet for coming on to MoneyWeb Crypto. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.